0: Are you going today, Mello?
1: Good, thank you. Nice to meet you, and uh, Thanks, you, thank you for having me.
0: So stoked to have another Aussie on the podcast. When I saw that Melbourne time zone, I'm like, yes, got another Aussie accent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I often get, my accent often gets a little bit different twangs from traveling around the world, So, but it still has the underlying Aussie accent under there. Sometimes I get mistaken a little bit for South African. There's a few little words there. Because I traveled so much, I picked up little bits and pieces. But yeah, it's nice to, to meet a fellow Aussie accent person too.
0: Yes. Yeah, surprisingly, I get South African every now and again. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the green and gold of the Springboks versus our green and gold on the Wallabies. I don't know. That's what I'm putting <laughs> it down to.
1: <laughs> it's a bit of the colonial English, I think. It's a bit of that colonial yes. sort of, yeah.
0: <laughs> I am like genuinely really pleased to have you on the podcast because you help you know, athletes, executives, CEOs, and you know people that are expected to perform at a really high level with their like mental well-being and their resilience and you know a lot of our listeners on the holistic fitness podcast they are struggling with that performance and struggling with like being able to implement the habits consistently when they have really busy lives personally as well as i just shared i'm an executive at a startup as well and i just know there's nice. just so many priorities that you've got to juggle a lot of the time. So I'm like personally grateful to have you here. I always start out with this one question though, Mello, and it's that anyone that gets into a sort of field where they're helping others, whether it be in you know, high performance habits, fitness training, yoga teaching, you know esoteric practices, whatever it is, there's usually a backstory. So can you tell me like the context that I would need to know about your life to understand why you help people in the way you do today?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a, that could be a long story, but I'll, I'll condense it. <laughs> it in, usually in is
0: pretty long, to be fair.
1: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So it's about three decades of work, to be honest, but I'll, I'll condense it into the, a shorter version. So I've always liked to help people in, in one way, shape or form. So I like to help people just genuinely from the bottom of my heart. And yeah, you know, initially I was helping people more with physical therapy. So I actually have been a personal trainer in another life you know, many years ago. And I found very quickly in the personal training work that I did, I was attracting more interesting conditions, let's say. So anything from chronic health conditions to injuries. And, and eventually that sort of turned into a lot of mental health work that I was doing. So people weren't coming to me for physical therapies per se. They were coming to me for more like mental health support. So then I designed a program um, for mental health support and I I approached some psychiatric clinics. I started working. In psychiatric clinics. And it was a holistic type program, which was everything wow. from exercise to mindfulness, to nutrition, getting people moving and that mind body connection. And that took off like it was like uh, my my sessions were booked up. I had a wait list for all my sessions in four psychiatric clinics. And it really wow. made me realize the power of the mind body connection. And um, And that was, and I still do that to this day. I still support people in mental health. And then that continued to evolve. So essentially I just followed my heart and followed my vision. And I thought, well, I want to help more people outside of the clinics to actually help them prevent burnout and prevent, you know, coming into the clinics to start with. So then I started working in, in corporate, in the corporate health space and started working in, you know, many um, big companies and anything from small companies to large enterprise companies and helping people. Um, you know, create lifestyle changes, helping them with their mindfulness, with their performance, and just followed my heart all the way through. And, and genuinely underneath it all, I just want to help as many people on this planet as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, my motto this year is I'm on just a big mission to help people prevent burnout. And um, over the over the period of the pandemic, over the last couple of years, I supported over seventy five to 85,000 people virtually in, in my seminars and sessions. Wow. And I thought yeah, which is great because a lot of my sessions opened up globally, a lot of my sessions were opening up to the world. And then I thought even after that, I want to support even more people. So hence mm. I actually recently wrote a book titled Beating Burnout and Finding Balance, you probably may have heard of. Yes, so I want to help as many people, yeah, as pop- as possible.
0: That's amazing. Do you mind me asking? You said that you followed you said that you followed your vision. Do you mind telling me what your vision is for the world?
1: It might sound cliche, but it truly is to leave the world a better place than I found it. It I love that. It truly is. Yeah, it truly is. And I just want to help and support as many people as possible. And often when I do seminars and workshops, I often get comments like, weeks later or months later or even years later so I might run a workshop in a company and someone comes up to me and says hey no you did that lunch and learn at you know xyz company I said yeah yeah that was me I've got to tell you it actually changed my life it actually helped me through a difficult time you know it helped me through my marriage or it helped me through cancer or these sort of things and that's that's why I do the work that I do because that's You know, if I can support people, if if I have some knowledge and skills that can actually be imparted on others, then I'm doing my job to make the world a better place. And that has a ripple effect, obviously, that goes to their family and their children Mm. and continues on. So it is a genuine passion and and mission to support as many people as possible.
0: I love that. And I resonate with it so much. My mission is to create the ripple effect. So um, when I smile at someone in the shopping center... I want them to smile back and then maybe treat their family nicer, whether it's at work and I can make my team be- member feel better or whether it's on this podcast and we share a golden nugget that causes a change in their life that makes someone a little bit happier and nicer to others. So I can definitely resonate with your yeah. vision and I love that it's so clear.
1: Yeah, thank you. And I, I love yours too. So we're on <laughs> We're on the same page. So hopefully this podcast has a ripple effect to help as many people <laughs> as possible.
0: Oh, I already know it is. Um let's move to the page of burnout. So what causes it?
1: What causes it? The actual cause yeah. itself It can be varying factors, and usually it sneaks up on you. Yeah, and usually it's something that sneaks up on you without noticing. So there are signs and symptoms along the way that people either recognize and they ignore them or they just don't know what to do about it. So it's usually a cumulative effect. Of mm. lack of self care, basically. So often, what happens, you might work in a in a business or a company or doing what you're doing, and you just work relentlessly hard, you know, to prove yourself and to continue to, you know, be a high performer. And then you start letting go of the things that you need the most, you know, things like exercise and eating well and sleeping well. And that just basically has this cascading effect until eventually it can lead to a full burnout. For the book itself, I actually interviewed around about. 200 leaders you know from CEOs executives athletes including an olympic athlete also and i and i asked the question you know around burnout and and leadership and things like that and 90% of the people that i interviewed didn't realize they were burning out until it was too late until they had some sort of Crisis situation, like a a panic attack or some sort of critical uh-huh. physiological response. So it is something that can sneak up on us, and sometimes we don't notice the causes until mm-hmm. it's too late, and then we start doing something about it. The WHO, Jeez. I'm not sure, um, the WHO, you know, 2019, they revised the actual definition of of burnout, and basically, there's three components to it, and the first one is. Just that exhaustion, like sheer physical and mental exhaustion, Mm. different to just being tired. Being tired, you could probably have a good night's sleep and wake up the next morning and be refreshed. But this is this ongoing exhaustion. So that's, you know, factor one. Factor two is that being a bit negative and cynical and a bit detached and disconnected from your work and from yourself and from the people around you. So that detachment type feeling. Right. And number three is just, yeah, number three is that lack of efficacy. So lack of efficiency in the work that you're doing. So things that would normally be easy for you, they're just difficult. They're really hard. So there's that, you know, these three factors that sneak up on you, you know, slowly and often we don't even realize them.
0: Yes. And I think those second two, like, that lack of efficacy, definitely as well, that people would almost get themselves into more burnout over like, oh, this is really hard cognitively and I'm not getting any of my work done quickly. And now my boss is riding my ass. It's like, I can see how it can be quite a toxic cycle for people.
1: Mm, Totally. So there is a tipping point that I've noticed that in the work that I do. So I do a lot of work around stress and resilience and Obviously, there's healthy stress. You need a degree of stress to motivate you, to drive you, to help you achieve your goals. And that's fine yeah. if you're if you're looking after yourself. So if you're doing your self-care practices, you're eating well, you're exercising, all those things that you probably talk about, that's fine because we can actually cope with that stress. We have the resilience. We have the energy. We have the vitality. And that everyday stress, we can't change that, but we can change our approach to that and how it affects us. But if we don't manage our stress on a daily basis, I call this the green zone, this everyday stress zone. It's it's a healthy stress. But if we don't manage it on a daily basis, you know, doing things for ourselves, it turns into chronic stress. And chronic stress is that feeling of just busy, super busy, overstimulated, can't sleep at night. You've got a cortisol and adrenaline going through the body. And this is where it turns into that tipping point because people stay in that chronic st- chronic stress zone for far too long you know, without you know, doing consequences to help them get back to the green zone. And then this tipping point is the word that I hear a lot is overwhelm. There's this, mm. this overwhelm. People are just overwhelmed. They're overstimulated, can't sleep at night. And the reason that it's an orange flag for me is, as I said, I work in psychiatric clinics and I often ask the patients when they come in, I say, so how did you end up here? What happened? and many of them say, it was just too much. I couldn't take it anymore. I was overwhelmed. So that overwhelms an orange flag to the tipping point. So then after that, it turns into more like allostatic stress or allostatic load, which is basically this constant wear and tear on the body and mind now starts having a negative effect on you. And there's a downward spiral from there. And then that allostatic stress then turns into burnout. And that's more like if if overwhelm and chronic stress is more like too much too much too much then the allostatic stress and the burnout is more like i'm done i'm tired i'm exhausted i can't keep going so the tipping point is that overstimulated state
0: wow that makes total sense and once you're at that burnout stage like i know what it feels like to just want to like bury myself into a hole for a month mm. and not and just not deal with anything <laughs> I imagine that's what people feel like once they reach that point. It's like, can I just go for a, to sleep for like a month and when I get back, none of that work to be there, please?
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. There's the withdrawal. That's one of the behavioral symptoms that yeah. you see, withdrawal. Withdrawal from everything, withdrawal from life, work and everything. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Let's chat about overwhelm and overstimulation. So you mentioned mm. self-care is one of those daily things that, you know is best to be doing and it sounds like eating whole foods getting good sleep and um, you know movement or exercise are things that can help with your se- self care and stress are there any other daily habits or things that people should be aware of to manage their stress to avoid this overwhelm and overstimulated state
1: mm. yeah good question yeah there's a lot of habits definitely that's what i teach and and, and talk about a fair bit one is to get off that treadmill of busyness. You know, we we get yes. addicted to busyness and it feels like we're doing a lot of things and we're trying to multitask, which we know we can't, and we context switch continues through the day, which actually wipes us out at the end of the day. So so my advice I have for a lot of my clients is to disrupt that busyness and to Create first of all to have self-awareness around that. You know, for the first point is actually being aware when you're working in this reactive state and you're overwhelmed and overstimulated. And then the second point is to actually have some tools and techniques that you can self-regulate. So disrupt mm-hmm. that busyness, this disrupt that you know crazy fast treadmill that you're on. And it may be a breathing practice, it may be you know, some breath work, it might be a short meditation practice. I always encourage my clients to do what I call 90 second breath breaks. So 90 Mm. second breath break, let's say you're working behind the computer and you've got 35 windows open and you're just getting confused and getting (laughs) overwhelmed. You don't know what to do anymore. Just stop, just pause, maybe close 30 of those windows off, close your eyes and then follow your breath for about 90 seconds because Mm. it, it instantly changes your physiology. So when you're in this fight and flight response, when you're, when you're, it's called an amygdala hijack, you may have heard of, the amygdala hijacks your prefrontal cortex. So when you're in this reactive state, you're in this stress state, your amygdala is going ping, ping, ping. The stress response continues to overwhelm us. And when that takes over our, our prefrontal cortex, which is all about problem solving, analytical thinking, decision-making, emotional regulation, all of these things shut down Because this little rear primitive part of our brain is actually overtaking it. So as soon as we stop and pause and breathe slowly, especially when we do a slow out breath, Mm. we can actually disrupt that amygdala and deactivate the stress response. So my invitation to a lot of my clients and people is to have punctuations of pauses throughout the day. So to be a a high performer and to work optimally at your best, the highest sort of peak state, you can only stay there for about two hours, 90 Mm. minutes to two hours. That's what the research says. So after 90 minutes or two hours, your attention starts waning. Your ability to problem solve and decision make is compromised. But if you stop for two minutes, 90 seconds or five minutes, or you go for a walk around the block even and just change the environment... I guarantee you, your next two hours will be more productive.
0: I love that. And that makes total sense. Uh, a lot with my team, especially the programmatic team members, I, I often say, sleep on your problem and then come back yes. to it tomorrow. But even getting some fresh air, getting, getting a 90-second breath break, that's so important. How about mm. for those who, I know a lot of presidents and vice presidents, they're managing multiple departments. So context switching... You know, you've got to be able to do it for a lot of people. And same even with mums. They might have a whole bunch of tasks they're juggling, and then, oh, I need to fit in my exercise. I need to fit in my food. So, for people listening that feel like context switching is a part of their life, would you tell them to time block that 90 to two hours, uh, 90 minutes to two hours, and take their breath breaks and then work on something else? Like, how do you help people find that balance there?
1: Minimizing as much context switching as you can to start with. Okay. Like yeah, yeah. Like really being very clear on what you're working on. So for example, you were working on a task. So you're working on a particular task. It was a project, you needed to get it out by the end of the day or by the end of the week. So you block out that time, like you said, time block that that time to do that and catch yourself the moment the mind wanders because it will, it'll go off and start thinking about other things. And I personally have a little notepad by my computer. So when I'm working on something, I actually turn my my phone onto flight mode if I'm working on something important and just block out that time. And if something pops up in my head, or even if you get a pop-up that pops up on your screen or a notification, don't action that and go to that. Just put it on your little park pad and say, okay, I'll get back to that later is the research around pop-ups for example if you have a if you're working away on something and a little pop-up pops up in the top corner of your screen or your teams pop-up or even if your phone goes off in your pocket mm-hmm. your mind will go there and it takes an average of about 64 seconds to get your mind back on task again so it takes about a minute
0: I which doesn't it.
1: yeah it doesn't sound like much but in the in the course of a week let's say if you get disrupted every 5 minutes and i think that's Quite conservative in a way, you can get disrupted every minute. But let's just say you get distru- disrupted every five minutes in a 40 hour working week, you lose 8.5 hours of context switching. It's a whole day.
0: Yeah. It's a whole
1: day of context switching.
0: You could have a four day week with that. Jeez. That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that's why the four day weeks, are, the research is showing they're so effective, is because people are like, right, I don't have the time to context switch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Exactly, Jeez. and especially if you know what you're working on and you're very clear and very focused, you could have one hour of focused work versus one hour of disrupted work, and yeah. it's a very different very different um, energy. So yeah, the mm. first step is awareness with that too. So catch yourself when your mind wanders, catch yourself when you're you're going off to other things and then pull yourself back on task. So if you get a pop up, let's say, and it takes you to your emails, And then before you know it, you're in your emails and you weren't even planning to be in your emails. And then you look and you've got 75 emails that popped up in the last hour and there goes your hour of focused work. And by the way, if you get disrupted in that with that pop-up, let's say another version and you're in deep work. So let's say you're really deep in there and you're really thinking and Mm -hmm. planning and problem solving. It takes about three minutes to get back to that state again. Wow. to get back to that deep work. So first of all, minimize as much as you can the environmental distractions around you. Mm. If you're working on task, turn the notifications off, turn your phone onto silent, you know, even put the phone out of sight if you can. And the other one is be very intentional with your work. Mm. You know, so choose, okay, I, I need to now check emails. Let's say it's 11 o'clock. I'll, I'll check emails for half an hour, but I won't get stuck there. I'll do 30 yeah. minutes of email checking and then I'll, I'll go back and do more proactive work. So when, mm. I, when I teach these concepts, I teach three main things, three main different areas that we work in. The first one is that proactive work, which we should be you know, very intentional with our work. The second one is the reactive mode where we have to answer emails and make telephone calls, et cetera. And the last one is the creative mode you know, to create new ideas, to step back and sort of look at our at our day, maybe look at different ways to work. So if we can time block our day in these three different zones, they're very different mental frequencies mm. in a way. So that being creative is very different to just working. So they're very different mental frequencies. So if you can time block your day in these three different work modes, you'll be much more productive and you'll enjoy your day more. And I guarantee you, you won't feel wiped out at the end of the day.
0: Yes, I love that. I love so much of what you've just spoken about. Like the park pad, especially is so mm-hmm. smart because I think it's so easy to get distracted and, and just the proact the three breakdowns of proactive work, reactive work and creative mode work. I have two questions. One, yes. why is the reactive mode so easily, easy? I feel like it's way easier to be ro- reactive than creative or proactive. And you see that mm-hmm. with how often people are on social media. That's question one. Question yep. two is like, how can you like, optimize the times in which you do this? Like, are there specific times yeah. where these sorts of things are best to do?
1: Good questions. Yeah. The, the first question there, just repeat the first question again. The um, Why is the to...
0: reactive work so easy compared to the other two? Yeah.
1: yeah. The, often that the reactive work is like little quick wins. So they, yeah. you know, if you get a pop-up and you get an email and you think, oh, I'll just quickly respond to that and you, and you ping that back, you get a little dopamine hit. Ping, that feels good. <laughs> And and then you want another one of those and another one of those. So that gets quite addictive. And it's also, it doesn't take deep work. Because often when you're in deep work, it can be quite laborious. It can Mm. be quite hard. So often we actually want distractions from that. We want to be distracted. It's almost like we look for something. I'll pick up my phone and quickly check something and do something else. So that also gives that sort of reward system, that instant gratification. So whatever we can do to block that out. So that's why I say, and this, this would lead into the next sort of um, question there about optimizing your time windows. I often say, don't waste your morning energy and clarity that you have, because often we're, we're quite clear and focused first thing in the morning. And if we mm. pollute that with lots of emails, you know, there goes that mental clarity It can quite scatter us. So I often recommend do that hardest cognitive task first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. when you're when, when you're the clearest <laughs> eat, eat that frog exactly exactly so do do that the hard the hardest task first and then intentionally you know, let's say it is 10 30 or 11 o'clock okay I'll go check emails now I'll clean up my inbox a little bit I'll prioritize what I need to do and and then I'll go back to, again to that proactive work and
0: mm.
1: not only do I I you know set these blocks but I also reset them in case you know things do change and you might get a, a, a meeting at the last minute that pops up and taking control of that. So let's say it's after lunch and I come back from my my lunch break. I've taken a nice walk. I had a lunch. I went and pat the dog or go for a run. Then i come back and I'll say, what's the one thing I need to do this afternoon to really make my day successful? Mm. Not the 700 things, but what's the one thing I need to do? So it's again, sort of resetting those goals. I typically have a... a a running sheet of my my day. So I have what I need to achieve in that day. And then I try to break that down to the big three. What are the big three things that I need to do that is going to drive my business further, that's going to help me have a successful day? And then I prioritize those big three and they're the big three that I need to do that day. Because quite often we do this to-do list that's just like never ending. There's... Yes. 700 things on there, and they're all, they're quick wins. They're mixed up with cognitive tasks. They're all all over the place. And that just becomes overwhelming. So, you know, taking control of that. And the last thing Mm -hmm. I'll say on that is when you say to optimize that, and I'm not sure if you know much about different brain frequencies. But when you're in this planning, problem-solving, working mode, we're in what's called beta frequency. So our okay. brain is oscillating at this high frequency. It's 14 to 40 hertz. So mm. we're thinking, planning, problem-solving, decision-making. And that's what mode many people stay in all day long and they never get out of it. They even go to bed in that frequency because it's—you know, they're thinking they can't stop thinking. So I also divide my day in different frequencies in a way. So that's that working mode, that proactive mode. But also let's say it's the afternoon, I need to just have a bit of reflective time and and be creative in you know, designing a new program or designing a new presentation, let's say. Then I'll do a little short meditation practice to drop my beta mode down into what's called alpha and theta. And right. this is where new ideas come out. This is where the brain's mm. oscillating at a slower frequency. It can be right down to like 7 hertz compared to 40 hertz. And this is where new ideas come out. This is where your deeper wisdom comes out. And this is about creating space in your day to just think, reflect, pause, and let some new ideas generate. So there are different brain frequencies, these different modes.
0: Are you tired of constantly feeling burnt out while trying to achieve your goals? Do you find yourself struggling to maintain motivation and productivity over long periods of time? I'd like to introduce you to the Goal Getting Journal, the ultimate solution for those of you who want to surpass their goals without burning out. Our journal is designed to help you set achievable goals, track your progress, and maintain a healthy work-life balance. With our journal, you'll discover practical strategies for managing stress, staying motivated, and avoiding burnout, including time blocking, habit stacking, and so much more. You'll also learn how to prioritize your tasks and maximize your productivity so you can get more done in less time. The Goal-Getting Journal is perfect for anyone who wants to achieve their goals without sacrificing their mental health and well-being. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a student, or just someone who wants to make any positive change in your life, the Goal-Getting Journal can help you stay on track and avoid burnout. And for Holistic Fitness Podcast listeners, you can get 20% off your first journal using the code HF podcast. Go to goalgettingjournal.com and type HF podcast at checkout to get your discount. So what are you waiting for? Order the Goal Getting Journal today and start getting your goals without burning out. I love the way that you've explained this all, Mello. And yeah, I just feel so lucky to be listening to you and learning so much about you. I think like the one little thing I have about that creative mode though is how do you as as you know, doing what you do for CEOs and executives, convince people to take a meditation break in the middle of their workday and tell them that it's productive. Do you have any like data or like how do you convince people that that's really important?
1: It's it's hard at first, I must say. Just, just yeah. people won't give themselves permission to stop that's that's yes. the hardest thing that they feel they need to just keep going and going and going but the very thing that they might need to be more productive is actually stopping and pausing but they think if I stop and pause I'm, I'm losing time and it's not an efficient way to work so it does take sometimes a bit of work for me to get them over the line but I I often, in the work that I do, I do teach meditation. I've been practicing meditation for around 30 years and no. I have not missed a day. I I cycled around the world on my mountain bike some years ago and I lived in monasteries and temples and, and you know, long story there. But basically, I really learned the importance of meditation. Now, when it comes to with corporate executives, for example, CEOs, um, leaders, managers, I don't use the word meditation at all. I don't, I don't even, Smart I don't even say, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not in the first sessions anyway, i won't I won't yeah. use the word meditation because many of them have these preconceptions. It has to be you know long hair and dreadlocks and you know robes and all these sort of things. Yeah. So I actually will, i'll I'll use the words like attention training or focus or clarity. So I'll say, hey, let's go do, you know spend five minutes to to reset our mind or to get more clarity, get more focus, to train our attention. And I then they're that. on board. Yeah, then they're on board and they think, yeah, that sounds good because that's going to help me be a higher performer. And once they do it, we actually do a meditation practice without the word meditation. They feel so much better and they get the feeling of it and then they tap into it. And then three months later, they're saying, I don't know how I lived without this. So I don't know how yes. they kept going. So so they realize it. So changing the language is very important when it comes to those um high performing, Um, even athletes, for example, I coach a fair few athletes and they just think it's go, go, go. Many, many athletes do know the idea of active recovery.
0: Mm. So,
1: so I'll, I'll frame it around that. Let's, you know, do some active recovery. Let's re, re re-energize ourselves. Let's reset again. So language is important when it comes to, to getting that over the line.
0: Yeah, for sure. I love that you call it focus training because that's, what I see the creative work and meditation mm. and, you know, even even exercise and stuff like that for the executive, like exercise some people may not have time for, but it's actually training to help you be more productive at work. I'm curious mm. about like what types of, So I've done a bit of meditation training as well, gone to monasteries as well in India and had an awesome time. Love it. And there's so many different versions of meditation. So if someone was listening to this podcast, they were like, all right, I need to get more focused. I context switch too much. And they were trying to get started with a meditation by themselves. Like what kind of meditation would you give them?
1: Yeah, often when people are starting out, it may be beneficial to actually listen to an audio, some audio guidance that may help yes. them. So I do have some free meditations on an app called Insight Timer. I can share that. that link with you later. Yeah, so it might be a body scan meditation. It might be some other meditation that helps you stay present with the practice. Um, so that's one way to enter into the mindfulness, mindfulness and meditation world. But using two things that you have on you all the time, one is your body and one is your breath. These two things are the things that you have on you all the time, and they're always in the present moment. So mm-hmm. when it comes to mindfulness and meditation practice, what we're trying to access is being present. Like that's the simplest form of you know, mindfulness. So our breath is one thing that we use. So I often teach different types of breathing. It might be breath counting, for example. It might be box breathing. But I really try to keep it as simple as possible. So for example, I'll teach somebody, you know, just to stop and pause, close your eyes off and then just follow your breath. And mm. I often invite them to have a longer exhale. I'll ask them to count their breath. So let's say they they breathe in for four. So it might be one, two, three, four on the in-breath, then breathe out for six, five, four, three, two, one. And that slow exhale will initiate that relaxation response we talked about before that, mm. um, the parasympathetic nervous system and your body will start slowing down. But having that count, especially when you're starting out is a good angle anchor for you to stay present with the breath, it really helps you. And once you start being present with the breath, you can start feeling your body relax, your shoulders relax. And you know, another way is also through body scanning. So scanning the body from the top of your head, all the way down to your feet. So these two things, your body and breath are two anchors that you can use to actually help you stay present. And it doesn't have to be 20 minutes, it doesn't have to be you know 30 minutes, It can it can be literally two minutes of this practice to help you just to become present with yourself so breath is the number one tool that I would I would share and and teach
0: absolutely and and it's and it's exactly right you can activate your parasympathetic nervous system through that through that exhale and your body and your breath yes. are always available to you so I love the way that you simplify that to help people mm-hmm. come into greater focus i i feel like um you spoke about resilience earlier and i find resilience quite interesting because On one hand, I work in the self-development world a lot, you know, outside of outside of what I do at work. And on one hand, there's a lot of content that says, you know, love yourself, self-care. And then there's some other content that's like wake up at 5 a.m. no matter what, take no prisoners. I'm really curious on your take of resilience with regards to like getting your goals, but you know, not burning out at the same time.
1: Yeah. I think I like the parallels that you're you're talking about there or the contrast there. So I think it is about having some sort of non-negotiable healthy habits. You know, mm. For example, my morning routine is non-negotiable. So I get up quite early. I get outside to get the sunlight, get that serotonin production into my body. I must have gone to a seminar years ago that taught me about the circadian rhythm. And um, yes. so I get outside, get the sunlight to get the serotonin production going. I usually take the dog for a bit of a run or a walk. And then after that, I do a meditation practice, so a stillness practice, which will be 10 to 20 minutes. Sometimes I I practice Tai Chi and Qigong practices. And then after that, I have a healthy breakfast. So that's three not negotiable habits that I do every day. If I can, if I'm on an airplane somewhere or if my children are sick, obviously there are other priorities, but they're pretty much etched in my DNA. So they're not negotiable. So having these will set me up for a good day ahead. You know, as they mm. say, win the morning, win the day. So they're not negotiable. But if for some reason I cannot do that, like I said, if I'm on an aeroplane somewhere, or my children are sick, or there's some things going on in my life that that will inhibit that, then I won't be hard on myself, and I, right. I, I won't be like so self-disciplined. Naughty mellow, you missed that because then you start, <laughs> you know, creating this anxiety around that, and you know, regret and shame. So. I think the, I think the second part is to be kind to yourself. Mm. I think it's, you know, be kind to yourself, and you know, realize some days you just can't do it. Typically, I will win those mornings pretty much every day, but there are some things that will will inhibit that. So, both of these things I think are important. Be kind to yourself. Keep up your self care practices. These are things that I do. Also, have ways that you switch off. You know, so have little rituals throughout the day. For example, at the end of the day, you can do a little closing the day routine that actually helps you to say, okay, I'm finishing my work day now. I do a little meditation practice, it might be a couple of minutes, close all of my tabs, close all of my things, mm-hmm. and then switch off from that. So then I enter my home and my children and my family fully present, fully aware. So these, you know, having these little micro habits in your in your day and your life to build up your resilience, to build up your capacity, to build up your focus. Um and also I would say around resilience is to have other areas of your life that you focus on. So if it's yes. just work and home, you know most people is just work, 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 and a little bit of home life. But if we have these other pieces of pie in our, our life, our, our social circles, our social support, our friend, our friends network, our relationships, our hobbies and interests, all mm. of these things, our personal development, all of these you know, things in our wheel of life, the more of these things that we have, the more resilient we are in life.
0: Yes, I totally agree with that because you can deal with a bad day at work so much better when it's not just work and home. How do yeah. you help people? Um, if like, somebody is so addicted to work and work is all they do, how do you help people expand their horizons and figure out what they enjoy doing? Because a lot of people are stuck in that cycle of work, work, work.
1: Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I I was um, inducting a CEO into my work not long ago and I asked him the question, you know, what are your hobbies and interests? And he paused for a while and he he was thinking he couldn't, he had a piece of paper and pen in his hand and he he couldn't write anything down. And then I noticed a little, I noticed a little tear in his eye and and I thought, I think this is a little penny drop moment. He realized, oh my God, I haven't done any hobbies for like 15 or 20 years. He's been called on this machine. Yeah, so it was a little moment that he didn't realize. So often what I do is, first of all, help them to self-reflect on areas of their life. So I Mm. do a little exercise, a little thing around the wheel of life and look at the different domains of our life. And I, I, I ask them to grade them. And most of the time, they'll have nines and tens in work and business and career but because they've got nines and tens there, they've probably got twos in family life or threes or fours in hobbies and interests. So then I think, okay, what can we do there to actually improve that, to to build it up to a four or five? And I ask them themselves to come up with some ideas like hobbies they used to have or interests they used to have, but they just never had time to. And we st- slowly start reclaiming those areas of our, of their life to get that that balance back in their life.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, I think that wheel of life Wheel of Life, or however you called it, is very yeah. important because there's there's eight pieces, right? Where you get to reflect on on all these different areas and see really where the the missing link is. That's right. <laughs> Yeah.
1: That's right. You, most most people will most people's wheels. Wheel, sorry, I'll just say on that. Most people wheels, most people's wheels are out of balance. You know, yeah. like I said, they've got sevens or eights and nines in 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 work and, and business and career, but then there's like twos and threes. So therefore the wheel is going to be very jagged and it's not going to move very well. So we start, you know, balancing that out with just little little changes of habits, little, you know. Sometimes they're just very small tweaks to be honest, little refinements, mm. just little things to to start re-including that back that into our life and things like that. so they're not always the biggest major things it can just be a little thing like there's actually two surgeons that I coach two two medical professionals, both of them working eighty hour working weeks you know working in in hospitals and clinics, you know doing crazy That's scary. hours. Yeah. On the verge of burnout. And yeah. when I started working with them, I was coaching them one, one-on-one. one I realized both of them had the same hobbies. Both of them actually rebuilt um, old cars. And I asked them both the same question. When's the last, last time you did that? And it was like, Oh my God, it's been like a few years before, since I've done that. So I actually connected them two together, introduced them via email. And now they're doing their hobbies and interests together. And they both of them are thriving as, you know, in the work that they do and they've got their hobbies and interests. So they're reclaiming that. So that little tweak, it just yes. changed their whole, their, their, their whole sort of outlook on life.
0: I love that. I love that story about how you connected them as well. I bet Mm -hmm. they were so stoked to be connected. And you you didn't just hit the like recreation kind of part on the wheel, also the friendship part of the wheel. Yeah. Two birds, one stone.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Now they're comparing notes. One of them makes nuts and bolts on a lathe and he, you know, gives them to his, (laughs) his buddy. And it's great. Yeah. So, and often that's what happens once you start refining another piece of that wheel. Other things will start falling into place, and you know that very well. With you know, yes. exercise, for example, you start exercising, so you feel better. Then you feel hungrier for healthier food. You eat healthier food, and then you got more energy to exercise more, and then you sleep better. So it, it all has this cascading effect on on everything else.
0: It's all interconnected, and it kind of leads me into like what I'm really curious about next as well. Like I notice sometimes if people like break a relationship or even get rid of an unaligned job, they tend to start excelling in other areas of their life. So I think my question is, when do people identify that it's not their own actions that's going to improve their burnout, but it's actually something external? Or is it never anything external and they're just going to recreate the same problem elsewhere?
1: So is that around burnout you're talking? Is that Yeah, um, just
0: around burnout. You know how some people are really burnt out because they're actually not doing the thing they're meant to be doing mm, or mm. they're in a relationship that's really, really toxic. Like how do you, have you ever like had experience working through that with people?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And it can be different areas in in, in their life, Part, parts of those different wheels there. So that, but like I said before, burnout is this sort of cumulative effect. It actually yeah. can, be this ongoing, you know, slow, slow burn, and sometimes we don't realizing it. So that, again, that first step is that awareness. I often use the analogy of like, you know, driving the car for example, and the oil light comes on and ping, mm. little oil light, and you just ignore it. Oh, don't worry, I'll just keep driving. Ping, 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 the oil light keeps going. And then slowly the car will then burn out. So basically, what we need to do is actually be aware of these little oil lights that are coming on throughout our Mm. life. So there's, you know, there's three main areas that are the signs and symptoms of burnout. And one is the obvious physical ones. So the physical symptoms of, you know, tiredness, exhaustion, body aches and pains, tightness, tension, all of these physical symptoms, you know, feeling sick often, they're quite obvious. The other ones are the behavioral ones and that's those feeling disconnected, like I said before, feeling detached from your work and from the people around you. And the, and the last ones are those sort of um, emotional ones also, you know, feeling feeling that lack of purpose and, and worth. So if we're starting to notice these and also withdrawal, like you said before, you know, if, if we're starting to notice that we're withdrawing, or we're starting to not go to social functions or not turn up at things and not show up, if we're starting to notice we're tired often, then it's... Our job to actually do something about that to get us back to that green zone we're talking about. Mm. So often, the very thing that we need the most, unfortunately, and I see this in the work that I do all of the time, when we're busy, when we're stressed, when we're overwhelmed, the very thing that we need the most are the things we let go of. You know, like exercise, like eating Mm -hmm. well, like having a good night's sleep. I won't go to the gym tonight. I'm too busy. I'll just you know grab grab some snack on the run. Uh, Some people don't even stop to eat. They're too busy don't even stop right. to to pause to eat or they just then it's four o'clock in the afternoon and I'll grab the the last donut sitting in the cafe shelf because there's nothing else to eat. And they realize they're hungry. So it is about seeing the signs. It is about reading the signs. So that again goes back to that self-awareness piece. Yeah, you know, being mindful of what you need to do. Are my actions leading me towards my goals or are my actions leading me towards burnout? Yes. Away from or towards is is what it, what it is. So Yeah. asking. I ask myself this question every day and I ask my clients to ask themselves this question every day. What have I done for me today? What have I done that's just for me? What have I done that fills up my cup? What have I done that makes me feel better? So making sure you're doing these habits here to make sure you're doing something so you can be a high performer without burning out. And it might be the simple thing as just going out for a walk. It might be Go pat the dog, you know, to release some oxytocin in your body. It might be go for a run to get those endorphins. You know, you often talk about these, you know, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. What can I do to get my get my dose of happiness? Um, and 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 make it not negotiable. Do them every day. Mm. I think that's answered your question in a roundabout way. Is that sort of on board? Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah. I think yeah. it's it's so interesting the cycle as well when you're feeling burnt out, you're feeling tired and mm. then you put all of those things on pause that are actually best for you and then you get into a point where a lot of my listeners are at where they're like I don't have the time for a 60-minute workout. I can't be bothered with meditation. I don't yeah. have the time to eat whole foods, even though I know it's good for me, when it's actually asking yourself the question that you just said, what have I done for myself today? And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a 60-minute work- workout. It can be going for a walk with the dogs, giving them a big cuddle, which scientifically releases oxytocin. Yes. And yeah. you know maybe it's going for just like a five-minute run, but it's getting in the habit of at least doing something for yourself every single day
1: exactly exactly and notice when you're falling off that notice mm. when you know you start missing that and then and again be kind to yourself okay I've, I've sort of fallen off the wagon now I missed my yoga class for you know two weeks but don't be hard on yourself and just give up okay just reset those habits again and and maybe you need to just change the way that you do it maybe you have to put them in your calendar put, make them not negotiable so you know, be kind to yourself and get back on that. Mm. Some exercise or some something is better than nothing. Because often when we start letting go of them, we just let go of everything. And that downward spiral sort of starts happening and, and poor mental health and and well-being, of course.
0: Yeah. No, you're so right. I actually had another guest on the podcast that said something about um getting yourself in the environment or at least doing something. He had a guest that, you know, injured themselves and couldn't work out, but working out was a part of their identity. Actually, it was his yes. dad. Working out was a part of his identity. And all of the doctors are like, don't don't go to the gym, don't go to the gym. He went to the gym just to walk a lap around the gym and then Great. get back in his car just to get back in the environment because he knows when he doesn't, like he can fall off the bandwagon if he stops going. He did nothing in the gym. He just went there for a laugh.
1: <laughs> that's great. That's that association, isn't it? It's sort of associating it with that's that's his lifestyle. That's his identity. And if that's that's what he's doing, that's, that's fantastic. There was a story that I heard not long ago about a karate guy who actually injured himself and he couldn't do his karate anymore. And he was actually hospitalized and bedridden. And um, he actually just visualized the exercises. So wow. in his bed. He, he was in. I don't know what the injury was, but I think it was a spinal injury. Um, in in his bed, he was actually visualizing the cutters. You know the movements that you do in in karate, and amazingly enough, you know after about four or five weeks of doing this, he still actually managed to keep some muscle tone by just wow. visualizing it, not even physically doing it. So that's that mind body connection that just fascinates me to no end, and I love that.
0: I find mm-hmm. that so interesting. And athletes mm. know this as well. Athletes do a lot of like mental training and visualizing um, of, you know, how they want their, you know, whether it's their polo right. vault or rugby or whatever it is to um, to execute on what they want to execute. That's amazing, that story.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, like a diver, like a high Olympic diver, for example, they rehearse that dive one million times in their head, you know. <laughs> Triple somersault, double pike, whatever it is, they've seen it in their head so many times, and they know it very well. So that again, that's that mind-body connection. Often, athletes, what they say when they do win their gold medal, let's say they're standing on the on the podium, and then winning their gold medal, and they get interviewed afterwards. Many of them do say, "This feels very familiar. I feel like I've done this before because yes, they've rehearsed it in vu. their head." Yeah yeah exactly they reversed they re- rehearsed it so many times so so mental rehearsal and that goes also with work too actually in many ways what i what I do in my day is after I've done those you know three practices I talked about at the end of my stillness practice I'll set intentions set positive intentions for the day ahead. Instead of saying, oh my God, I've got three meetings today, plus I've got a, I've got to run a seminar, then I've got this coaching client, and then at 5 p.m. tonight, I've got to, you know, coach this doctor and it's gonna be late. I'm gonna be tired. Instead of setting my day up like that and looking at my never-ending list, I change my mindset towards it and look forward to it. So I actually set my intention, a positive intention. I'm looking forward to seeing Laurie today at 9:30. I'm looking forward to seeing my client this afternoon, looking forward to that session. And that hardwires your brain to have that optimistic outlook. And it's almost like the reverse of a gratitude practice. You know, It's like, look forward to something, set positive intentions, and also mentally rehearse. So I'll also... Yesterday, for example, I spoke to 1,200 people in a seminar. So I mentally rehearsed the energy that I wanted to give in that Mm. seminar. I I mentally rehearsed it. So I I felt it and saw it, put a positive outlook to it and had the energy and vitality I I wanted to have in that session. So that mental rehearsal and that visualization and that positive outlook can really help with your energy and vitality and sharing that. And then on the other end of that, you 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 might have people that do this here, is the gratitude practice. So that sort of you know, what's the three things that went well or what's the three things that I liked and I I physically write them down because mm. I found that I was always saying the same thing I'm grateful yes. for my wife <laughs> I'm grateful for my children I'm grateful for this but when you start writing them down you actually look for small things and new things and I make myself a promise that I won't write the same thing twice in in a week so you wow, start looking yeah. yeah you start looking for new things like it might be I'm grateful for running water it might be I'm grateful for mm-hmm. you know the my work that I do or the someone that smiled at me today or the, or the barista that made me a nice coffee or whatever it is, and you start yes. looking for more things to be grateful for.
0: Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals. And sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals. But I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goalgetter getter or less ambitious that was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full-spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. NED CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. NED is providing holistic fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give NED a try, listeners get 15% off NED products with the code Lee. L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. I love A, the mental rehearsal, but also the gratitude practice and they can uh, go hand in hand. Something that I've started doing with my gratitude practice is asking myself why because I'm quite optimistic. I could write yeah. so many things I'm grateful for, but I kind of just roll it off without intention. So if I'm yes. saying I'm grateful for my peppermint tea, I'm saying like why I'm really grateful for that moment and why like I just felt really like warm and cozy in that moment. Um, that's just something that's that helps me. <laughs> personally. That's great.
1: Yeah. So you're adding another layer to it. That's great. Yeah, Yeah, just because
0: I knew I I was just smashing it out, probably like you're thinking. I'm like, I'm just smashing this out. I need to probably check in a little bit more.
1: (laughs) Yes, yeah, exactly. And that starts hardwiring your your brain to look for more of these things. Mm. We talk about the, the reticular activating system. So we can set our reticular activating system to look for stress and anxiety and difficulties and challenges, but we can also set it to actually look for good things like the person that opens the door for you or, yes. and why that's good or or the person that smiles at you like i said it's a mm. bit when i when i talk about the reticular activating system it's a bit like you know driving your car and you've bought yourself a brand new car and you think i'm oh, i'm pretty cool in this brand new car not many people have <laughs> this and then then you start oh there's another one and there's another one and there's another one because your your brain's now wired to look for familiarity yes. so if you start hardwiring yourself to look for good things compassion and kindness and generosity and all these things, you'll start noticing it more in your day, which will give you more energy and vitality and and less stress. Usually those two, two um, cocktails of chemicals cannot coexist in the same body. So if you've got oxytocin and serotonin and endorphins going through the body because you're you know, wiring yourself to look for happiness and compassion and kindness and all those things, then usually the adrenaline and cortisol and that you know cannot exist in the same body. So if you're breathing slow and doing this slow breathing you know, to release that you know, adrenaline and cortisol, and then you add a layer of gratitude to that, mm. you, you're filling up yourself with all these good, happy chemicals and hormones in your body.
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness. And I love that you mentioned that analogy with the cars as well, because it's so true. You buy yourself, like, I've got a Subaru Outback and all I see is Subaru Outbacks now. And because I love my Subaru Outbacks so much, <laughs> I always look at them and I'm like, oh, they're cool as well.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, exactly. We've spoken about so much on this podcast, Mello. I could honestly chat to you for ages. I personally have gained a lot of value. Like I've got a webinar on, um, you know, a pretty big webinar on Wednesday and I'm definitely going to do that mental health. Even though I've heard of mental rehearsal before and I've yes. had guests that spoke about it, you've just come on at the perfect time to, to, to can tell me to, hey, go do your mental rehearsal before you do that presentation, Laurie. So yes. I personally appreciate you so much. Is there anything that, you know, we haven't spoken about on the podcast that, you know, you really wanted to um, share that we just haven't discussed?
1: Well, we could spend another three hours talking here for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I think we've covered a fair bit I think, again, going back to that, giving yourself permission to stop and pause. So, you know, those little moments of reflection. So I'd encourage people to find balance every day so doing mm. what you can do in your day to find balance. So if you have a busy period, you know, a couple of hours, make sure you punctuate that with a little rest and renewal. So having mm. renewal breaks are really important. If you have a busy day, give yourself permission to stop at the end of the day and have a night off and relax and don't do work you know, after hours. If you have a busy week, let's say, and it's been you know quite intense and you know you're really you know working hard. Give yourself permission to to have a weekend away and just, you know, hang out with the family and friends. And so finding that balance in your day, in your week, in your month, and and continue to do that. Don't wait. Often what happens is people work hard relentlessly throughout the year. They finally get their four weeks or two weeks annual leave, and then they fall sick because they're just exhausted
0: and tired. You see that
1: all the time. It's because they're running on nervous energy. So, yes. so don't be that person. You, could, you can punctuate your days, your weeks, your months with periods of renewal, periods of hard work rewarded by periods of renewal and rest and relaxation. And the other thing I'll say is give yourself permission to have some downtime. Mm-hmm. Downtime is underrated. We don't give ourselves any downtime these days. We're constantly overstimulated. I was reading something recently that said that today humans are taking in more information in one day than somebody in the 15th century would take in in a whole year.
0: That's insane. I believe
1: it. Yeah. It's like 200, the equivalent of like 276 newspapers in one day. We're just taking in this information. So Give yourself permission. And the last thing I'll say on this is if anybody wants one golden tip from me, it's divorce that telephone from your bedside. Get rid of it. Oh, <laughs> yes. Please.
0: I have a yes. rule in my bedroom. Um, you know, same with the person that I'm dating, I'm not allowed to bring your phone into my bedroom. <laughs> That's yeah. my one rule. I can feel <laughs> the energy of it. I don't know if it's because I've been doing this work for a while, and and I think once you're doing the work, you can just feel the phone. But um, yeah. it's it's a game changer, game changing habit.
1: Totally. Most people thank me endlessly for it. First of all, they're resistant to it. Yes. But you know, <laughs> if you if you wake if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is get your telephone out, you start scrolling. You're already oh. waking up in a reactive way, and you're already mm. starting your day reactively and stimulated often quite, you know, often as rubbish on social media usually. Or you might even check your work emails and you haven't even left your bed and you're stressed out. Yes. You haven't even left your bedroom. So it's, you know, really working along sort of being mindful of those sort of things. I know it's not easy, but it's one thing. And the, and the other last thing I will say is when it comes to mindfulness, there's two main practices. Yeah, one mm. is the formal practice that we actually do where we stop, we pause, we close our eyes and do some breath work. But the other one is what's called the non formal practice, where we are more mindful of the things we're doing in our day, like Mm. eating, like brushing your teeth, like showering. So, if we can be more present in the things that we do in our day, we can actually enjoy our day more and we can actually, it actually trains our attention. You know, I often say, if, you know, when you're in the shower, for example, are you in the shower saying, Mm, I love my lime and coconut shampoo this morning. (laughs) It it smells amazing. Well, are you already stressing out about the 10,000 things you have to do in your day? So being mindful in the shower, being mindful when you're eating. Eating is a big one I'm sure you you know about. Where tasting the flavors, smelling the aromas, and these are all practices of mindfulness also. So they'll help Mm. you to be more present. They'll help you to manage stress better. A very small thing you can do to balance that formal practice and non-formal practice.
0: Yes, I love that. I think I should headline this with uh, Mellow has lime and coconut shower gel.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. I love it. Sounds sounds good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But, you know, a lot of people might not even know what they're, you know, because they're not focused on it. And it's it's so true. Mm. And that actually does come back from one of the things I learned in yoga teacher training is just Mm. start with being mindful with one thing. Being mindful yes. about everything in the day might be overwhelming to begin with because you're not used to it. But maybe for your first week, it's like, okay, I'm going to be mindful while brushing my teeth. Now I'm going to move it. to being mindful when I'm eating breakfast. And then before you know it, you've stacked all these habits and you're mindful a lot of your day. But there is a process sometimes as well to get there. Yeah, so it's one thing and be mindful at it.
1: I agree. That's exactly what I do too. I, I say just choose one thing and do that for the next seven days more mindfully. And then and then you stack other things. Often what I get from my clients afterwards is they say when they become more mindful and they start, you know, doing these practices like eating more mindfully and they eat away from the computer and things like that, they all say to me, I didn't notice how unmindful other people are. Like you yes. notice other people rushing around and you know, on the telephone or eating in front of the computer, and you start noticing how unmindful our lives are. So, mm. you know, bringing mindfulness you know, to your day—just eating your food, just eating your food. Most people will be eating on the computer or telephone in their hand; they're not present with what they're doing. So, all of these are opportunities to bring mindfulness to your day.
0: Mm. Absolutely. I have loved chatting to you, Mello, but I've already taken up more of your time than you gave me a little bit selfish, selfishly of me, and I need to be a bit more cognizant of your time. So we will move to the final question. And that is, if you were sitting across from across the table from your 20-year-old 20, 20 self right now, what one sentence of advice would you give him?
1: Mm, one, only one.
0: Yeah, only one sentence.
1: Mm be, be true to be yourself, you know, be free to be yourself. Like really you know, follow your heart, follow your vision, follow your things. Because often you can get hijacked by other people's opinions and people can hold you back and hold you back from what you really mm. want to do in life. So you know, being free to be yourself. And I learned that in a way where, like I said, I cycled around the world on my mountain bike and there were six of us that wanted to do it. And uh, one by one, they all pulled out on me for one reason or another. And when it, you know, we got the maps out of Africa and things, they all got scared. But I followed my heart and followed my vision and said, I'm going to do it solo. And it did take a bit of courage. So I think mm. I think the the sentence would be having the courage to be yourself and to shine.
0: I love that. And it can be difficult to follow what's true and what's authentic to yourself, especially when it doesn't follow the usual path or the the grain that we've been taught to follow. That's right.
1: That's right. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm sure so many people have fallen in love with your work. And I really mean this. I'm going to buy your book. Like, I've just learned so much from you and I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast, Mellow. Yeah, yes. There you go. So tell me how A, I can buy your book and B, where everyone else can get in touch with you and get to know more about your work.
1: Yes, yeah. the the book is released uh, internationally actually so it is released I'm here in Australia in Melbourne it is widely released here in in the stores like the Dimmick stores and, and retail stores I believe in the states it's actually released through Barnes and Noble um so awesome. I can share a link with I can share a link with you if you like uh, on that there all the other Amazon, you know, Amazon Booktopia, all those online resources. So it's widely available. There's an audio book that just came out also, uh, which I um, just released and I recorded myself. Word of advice for anybody recording their own audio book, do not use the word similarly. Similarly.
0: Because I got stuck on
1: that for about half an hour. <laughs> so, um, it was I love a great that. Experience. That's so yeah. funny. <laughs> Went 20 or 30 minutes on that word, similarly, similarly. Try that five times. So, yeah, Jeez. it's released on, on all online stores. I'll I'll share some links. I'm not sure if you put them in the show notes, but Barnes & Noble yeah, you're in the States. Yeah. Amazon, um, you'll find it also. And, uh, yes, I'm just, I'm on a mission right now to help as many people as possible. Um, you know, through this, you can also access my website and I'm sure you have the show notes, We where, where you can also download a free chapter actually to have a little try before you buy and have a little read of a. There's a great story that it opens up with, which is actually a story that I meditated for 12 hours to survive a storm. So, um, you have to read the sample chapter yes. to find out about that. So I'm uh, excited to
0: hear about that.
1: <laughs> yes. yes. So, um, yeah. So yeah, com is probably the best port to sort of uh, find out more about me.
0: Awesome. And all of that will be in the show notes as well and your website and everything as well. It's been an absolute pleasure, Mellow. Thank you so much for joining the podcast.
1: Likewise, Laurie. Thank you for having me and uh, good luck, everybody. All the best with everything you're doing. Keep following your heart and your your purpose
0: amazing and for everybody listening at home in the car wherever you're listening to the holistic fitness podcast today eat well move well breathe well and until next time keep shining